0: hello welcome to producer says what welcome back i'm pure jack alone and i'm speaking to you from hopetown sound studio in doylestown pennsylvania and uh we're getting up on christmas it's been an interesting year as everybody knows um you know with covid uh we have managed to uh do pretty well all things considered we were shut down for two months like everybody else and um uh and you know otherwise though it's been pretty good and um what i wanted to uh talk today about is um this is something that's been coming up a lot lately particularly with covid uh which is the relationship between uh studio musicians and and session players and artists who hire them and and the studio That's me me that's in the middle of all of that. Um, And, you know, this is one of those things where uh, there are no fast and hard rules. And you really uh, see that because nobody knows what they're doing. (laughs) Uh, And I've been doing this for 30 years. Nobody's ever known what they're doing. Um, You know, musicians don't know what to charge. Artists don't know what to pay. Nobody knows if they're getting screwed or not. Um, you know, very often the studios are in the middle, the producer, um, and, you know, it's always been an uncomfortable negotiation. Um, and I guess it, pro- you know, it always will be, <laughs> but I want to see if we can bring, if I can bring a little bit of, uh, a perspective to, um, uh, to this uncomfortable situation and see if we can't. Um, try to make it a little bit better. Uh, let's try to see both points of view, um, or all the points of view. And, um, you know, this is something where, um, you know, the parties involved, you've got, you know, you've got the musicians on the one hand, the, the players, the session players, and, you know, for you folks, and I hope some of you are listening to this, um, you know, you've devoted your life to, uh, to your instrument and your craft and, you know, your dream has always been to uh, be a professional musician, and that is usually defined by um, earning a living at it, which is making money. You know, uh, we all love to play, uh, but, the, you know, the, the defining characteristic of being a professional is you earn money for it. Uh, so in that regard, and I, I'm speaking as somebody who's been on both sides of this um, a lot, and it's very hard not to uh, judge your own self-worth based on how much money you make. Um, you know, it's sort of an expected thing that uh, the more accomplished you are as a musician, the more money you'll earn, um, and so, and that's you know that can be uh, a difficult, uh, that can be a trap uh, that you fall into. Um, just in terms of, uh, judging your own self-worth and also, um, you know, the, the big fear I find most musicians have is that they'll underprice themselves and, and they'll feel like they could have made a lot more. Um, w- really, uh, the much bigger danger is when you overprice yourself, um, And I'll discuss that in greater detail, but, um, and, you know, and I know it's a very tricky thing because, um, you know, again, it's, you're, you're always trying to, you know, you're, you're trying to validate yourself, really. You're validate your career choice, you're, you you know, everything about, you know, who you've decided to be as a person, but, you know, you're, you're trying to validate that by the amount of money you're getting paid, um, so it's tough it's tough uh like when you if you feel like you've underbid yourself you feel like you've undervalued yourself and and um so you know that it's an understandable uh situation to have a problem with the other side of the of the you know the uh, negotiation is the artist and um you know uh one thing i think that's really uh critical for musicians to remember and i see them forget it is that artists are just you who happen to have written music? They're not, you know, uh, you know. Th- you may have spent your entire career in life thinking about, you know, you know, performing for, you know, a great rock star or for a record company, uh, you know, or some some entity that's larger than you that has bigger resources than you. That's not usually the case with artists. I mean, look, artists come in every stripe, just like musicians. There are rich artists and poor artists, but you know, um, but they're your brothers and sisters, um, and you know, they just they have done the creative end of writing the music, and they have a vision, and they're and they're trying to uh, you know, express themselves through music. But another in, in every other respect, they're you. You know, they're just they're musicians. Um, and I think it's very important to not forget that, you know, um, like look to your left, look to your right, look to your, you know, the drummer you're friends with, the bass player you're friends with, the keyboard player, you know, what would you charge them if they were doing a project and wanted you to play on it? Well, you charge them less because they're your friend, but you know what? The artist, you know, who's trying to hire you maybe connected through a studio. They're just the, the musician that's not your friend yet you know, but they will be if you start working with them, you know, so that's a critical place where I see a breakdown of, uh, you know, understanding and empathy. and, you know, for for, for artists, uh, there's always, you know, they don't know. Artists have no idea what's appropriate to pay a given musician. Uh, usually they're hiring, if they're hiring you for the first time, they never worked with you before, they're doing it based on someone else's recommendation, usually mine <laughs> in this studio. But it could be, you know, someone else's too. And, um, and. And, you know, so they don't know whether they're overpaying or underpaying either. And, um, you know, so it's a tricky situation for them, too. And it involves a lot of trust and goodwill. And the hardest part is um, remembering both sides, remembering that you're coming together to make music. You're coming together to make art you know, you're not, you know, this isn't uh, a science, you're not, you're not uh, following a set of instructions that are going to necessarily produce, you know, um, a a definite outcome, you know, you're not building a a car or something like that, you know. Um, And, and, and also that, you know, it's because it's an art, um, it's highly personalized. So, you know, You may, there may be a player who is absolutely amazing for, you know, 80% of the sessions they would get called on or whatever, you know, or, or, you know, for four out of five kinds of music or something, you know, who knows what, um, and maybe it just doesn't work out on, on, on your session, or maybe it's just that song, you know, that, that they weren't right for, um, it happens, you know, um. And uh, you know the other thing too is, um, and I've been I've been seeing a lot of this too, is with COVID. Uh, you know everybody is under an undue amount of stress because of this thing. Everybody, and you know I mean I've had you know way more cancellations and and you know sessions bumped and everything and. Um, and, you know, that's just part of the deal this year and, um, you know, it's hard. Um, and, and there's definitely been some stress around, around that vis-a-vis artists and players I've seen this year. Um, you know, trouble getting in touch with people, just, just communication issues. Um, and, you know, um... I just think you know this is more of a life thing than, than about just music. But um, this is just remember that everybody's out there trying to be their best, trying to be their best selves, and and you know, and we all fall down. We all have bad days. We all have bad circumstances. Um, but um, I know, like for me, uh, most of the musicians that I work with, I've worked with many, many, many times, and. Uh, you know, my trust and my recommendation in them comes from a lot of experience with them. Um, but, you know, they're human beings and they will have bad days, too. Um, so, uh, so, you know, the, again, um, there's a general sense of, I guess, well, I'm appealing to everybody involved to just, you know, Imagine yourself in the other person's shoes and just be as understanding as you possibly can. And this is how we can get all parties to the table to make a reasonable agreement and have, you know, a pleasant outcome from it, um, which, frankly, is the case almost all the time anyway. But um, but it's you know, sometimes it's not easy <laughs> Um Yeah, not necessarily all this year either. You know, um, so let's get back to the players. Uh, Let's the issue of pricing and pricing out. Um, You know, it it is true that uh, more accomplished players are used to getting paid more, and um, and you know, and 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 it's what you know they've got a reasonable case to make that they're worth more. you know they're they're you know ostensibly producing a better product. Maybe they're doing it faster. Um, you know, it's just what they're what they're you know the, what they're producing is simply uh, higher quality and therefore worth more. Um, so it's it's not about whether they have a good point to make with that or not. Uh, what it the point that I think I would love musicians to consider simply is who are you working for, and you know, again, I guess it's um, for me as a musician, um, the way I looked at it was um, what price would it what price would be so low that I would feel I did myself a disservice no matter how it went, you know, whether it was easy, hard, a lot of work or whatever. You know, I sort of had a. Um, this is what it'll, this is what I need to 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 pick up my instrument and leave the house, you know, like, like this is the, this is the get out the door price. Um, and then from that point, um, it becomes, you know, very basic criteria. Like, is this an independent artist? Do they have any financial support at all? Um, and you know, look in the real world, nine times out of 10, that answer is no, you know, uh, and even if you are a great musician a lot of people you're going to work for are going to be unsupported and um and these days much more than than ever you know um, there's there's very little support coming from the music industry right now um less than there ever was actually and so that's an important question and usually you know i mean look if there's a label involved you're gonna know uh, you know, nobody's going to be springing that on you. Um, you know, the, for an artist to have a label involved, they're going to be at a certain level. You're going to know, I mean, it doesn't hurt to ask, you know, you can ask, but, um, you know, uh, if they have distribution, if they you know, if they know they're going to, they're going to make X number of sales, then, then yeah. Um, then you should price accordingly for that. Um, but again, uh, the vast majority of work most musicians are going to get is going to be for unsupported, unsigned artists. And let's be real, the vast majority of them are never going to be signed. They're never going to be supported. You know, it's, it's, it's very rare that people break through and actually make it. And, you know, um, and, and even if they're going to later, it isn't necessarily, yeah. You know, it isn't, they aren't now, and it's not necessarily with the music you're making for them right now. And if they do, and they happen to hit with music you happen to make for them, and uh, you know, that's something to be proud of. It's not something you know, it's happened to me, you know, <laughs> like I, uh, you know, I've worked on a production that ended up selling, you know, a lot, and I didn't have residuals, and you know, that's the way the cookie crumbles sometimes, and. You know, I still get to be proud of the fact that I was involved with that production. And, um, you know, it's uh, it's just, look, it's not worth getting upset about, right? Um, but anyway, the vast majority of people you're going to work for are not supported and they're never going to be. And you really have to think about what kind of a relationship you want to have with those people because they're going to be your bread and butter. They're going to be the majority of the money you earn if you are even going to earn a living as a musician um and so you know i mean i had uh i had a local musician a few years ago um just absolutely price himself out and i was very sad when he did it um you know he's very talented very nice guy um you know and uh he's been in the studio a few times with you know artists who had hired him directly because they knew him who obviously, got a reasonable rate from him, but when I had called him about doing a session for an artist he didn't know, um, he basically gave me what I call a go away price. You know, um, like there was a, a funny story related to me, and I, I'm trying to remember where I actually heard it, but uh, it was about it was Daryl Jones, a bass player who ended up playing for the Rolling Stones, and uh, um. He was it. I hope I got his name right. Uh, It's been a long time since I even thought about the story. But um, you know, he at the time that he was playing, that they that they want that they asked him to join the Stones on tour. uh, He was playing with with Madonna, I think was the story goes. And uh, and this was all obviously a long time ago. And um, the, the the story was he he gave them what he thought was a go away price. He was like, I need five grand a night or something like that. And and um, and, like, the, the phone rings, and, and it's, and it's, you know, Mick Jagger, and it's like, great, we'll see you Friday, you know, <laughs> and it was just like, yeah, you thought it was a go-away price, not for the Rolling Stones, but anyway, uh, back to, uh, back to reality in Doylestown, um, this person did give me a go-away price, and, um, you know, it was a price that, honestly, um, no one's ever going to pay, and, yeah, ever, yeah. And frankly, the price he gave me, even signed people wouldn't aren't going to pay it. You know, and um, it was just—I don't know what was going through his head. Uh, and I know it, and it's weird because we don't have a bad relationship. It's the w- the way I saw it was—it was just a gigantic misread of what's going on here. You know, and I mean, in a way, it's a compliment. It's like I guess you think I'm really got something going on here, but you know it's sad to me because this person has no idea how much money they just gave up you know how much work they gave up and i'm talking like good work easy work you know, like pop in for an hour or two and and you know make a couple hundred bucks and and you know what it's you know they really did themselves a disservice and me and all the artists that come here um you know it's It hurt everybody. And, um, you know, so, and, you know, this is a person with every right to be proud of themselves. You know, um, they're an accomplished musician. But still, again, not considering who they're working for, you know, or the situation that they're in. And, and not being, you know, uh, like, you know, I should put it on the table with me. to so be like, well, what does this person need? What's their situation? I mean, I, I get players asking me that all the time, too. Um, but, you know, I mean, it happens every so often. Uh, there was another great, great player who, uh, you know, I recommended and they played on an album. And you know, they were fantastic. They were great. But they really took the artist to the cleaners, and I watched the whole process happen. They had no idea what was appropriate. The artist didn't know. Um, I let them negotiate, and you know, in the end, you know, honestly, like the amount of money that that the musician charged the artist was that was really ridiculous, and you know. Um, the, the the same thing pretty much happened which is i've you know never really hired that person again and it's not out of bad will or you know it's like it's not out of bad feelings it's just nobody's going to pay that you know and, and there's other options yeah that's another thing there's other options um and so Again, uh, I, I hope I hope this can reach some people and make them think a little harder about this particular situation, because usually what happens is they don't think about it until they're in it, until there's an artist and they're like, I don't know how much to ask for. Yeah. Well, think about it now. Like, you know, get it. Yeah. You know, the the more you can make this a straightforward thing of, well, I get this amount and that's it. Um you know, the smoother all of this will go, and you know, and I know it's very hard. There's a lot of variables. You don't know how talented the artist is. You don't know how well thought out the music is. You don't know how difficult it's going to be. So fine, charge by the hour. You know, try, you know, figure out a variable that addresses that. You know, um, but figure it out beforehand. You know, of like an amount that's going to make you happy. That's you know, and and that won't cut you off as a resource that will keep you somebody that other artists are going to want to go to that that one artist will come back to you know um it's it's important to give that a lot of thought um before you're in the situation um and as for artists uh it's a different issue for artists um i mean look you know um you can have some ideas about what's appropriate to pay or what's not appropriate to pay. And you should. Um, but, um, and you know, those are going to fluctuate based on, on the quality of the talent as well, of course. But, um, things that sometimes artists don't consider, uh, are, you know, beyond this, just the general quality of the product that a better player is providing is, um, the speed with which the player works matters. um, you know, great players usually work faster, um, or at least get a better result faster. Um, and then there's something to consider that a lot of artists don't consider, which is that great players uh, are don't require as much editing. Great players don't require don't require as much mixing. Um, I'm gonna embarrass my good friend Jim Hines for a second here. <laughs> um, Jim, you're beautiful man (laughs) yeah Jim Hines is uh an amazing drummer who lives close to the studio and I am not ashamed to say Uh, I hire him every chance I possibly get and you know Jim beyond touring with Brian Wilson for 10 years and and, you know has done so much work you know studio work in Chicago for 20 years for that and I mean the guy is just amazing and and there's so many ele- there's so many parts of recording that he improves with by his experience. It's you know he comes on time, he comes prepared, um, he knows how to tune the drums, you know, well, <laughs> and um, he plays the kit as one instrument. He has appropriate dynamics between the skins and the cymbals, and. and um, you know all of these things matter and 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 really, I've tried to explain this to some artists and 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 it usually doesn't come out very articulate, but um, you know, there's a way that really great drummers um, evoke the sound out of a drum that you know it's it's really obvious when you do a lot of recording of different levels of drummers. You know, um, you know, some people can just get a drum to ring better, and uh, and really get it to speak better. And you know, I I watched it. Um, you know, uh, the band that my wife and I had in New York for ten years, we had a great drummer, Rick Cutler. Love you, Rick. Um, and you know, we would play gigs with you know, we'd just share a kit with another band, and you know, the the, the band before us. The guy would sound like he was playing cardboard boxes, and then Rick would get on the exact same kit, and it would sound like a million bucks. And it's all about how they hit it. And, um, you know, uh, so those kinds of things make an enormous difference. And, you know, and there's no amount of money that will make the drum sound, you know... That will make up for that difference in mixing. I mean, you can add triggers, and you can, you know, eventually make it sound like what kind of what you needed to sound like, but it won't have that magic, you know, that ring of a great drummer. Um, so these things matter a lot, and artists should incorporate that into their calculations because uh, you really will pay less. You know, if you look at the entire project as a whole, less editing, less mixing means less money out of your pocket um, and and <laughs> you'll get a better product out of it too so um, so that's a calculation that artists need to make but um, you know there's other issues too um, that come up with artists that are not necessarily monetary that are just um, you know like one of them one of the more interesting things is how artists manage uh, to on a creative level bringing in other voices to their music and um and that range is all over the map you know i mean there there are people who are just thrilled to have other voices interpreting their music particularly when they're great players um you know, because it's the net effect of having great actors performing your play, you know, and, um, you know, um, so, I mean, I guess I just gave away where I am on that, (laughs) you know, I think, you know, there's nothing more fun in the world, or more beautiful in the world than than bringing in great players and sharing that experience um, with them, but I have dealt with, many artists who, um, they're, honestly, they're not able to give up that control, and uh, it's, you know, they get a very fixed idea in their mind of what their music should sound like, and, and they're not able to, to, you know, relinquish that, that level of control to, to bring, to, to allow uh, other voices in to their creativity, to their vision. And you know what, I, I'm making that sound like it's, uh, that it's you know, a matter of uh, experience and skill and, and skill level as a writer and artist. But this affects people that are very highly skilled. And, um, I mean, you could make the argument that, you know, that, you know, everybody from Stevie Wonder to Prince to Todd Rundgren all maybe had some issues you know, one of the reasons why they wanted to play all the instruments. But then again, all three of those guys also worked with great musicians and let them do their things too. So, um, maybe it's less of the case there. Um, But, you know, um, I I don't know. I've witnessed some really silly things. Like, I've, I've witnessed artists just take great players and just break them down and not let them do what they do to the point where really what they all they in the end all they really wanted was a steadier hand to play what was in the artist's own head and and they didn't really want any other voice involved and I don't know I see that as a great shame and, you know, I think it's a great waste of you know, uh, that artist, you know, the, uh, rather that musician's ability and, and, the, and the voice they've spent their life building, um, you know, to, um, to, you know, to not allow that in. But it's a fine, you know, look, it's a tightrope walk. You know, I mean, you, as an artist, you are going to have a vision of your music and, and it's a negotiation as much as the money is. You know, it, it's a here, this is what I had in my head. And, you know, what can you do with it? And, and really, it's, it's like it's vocabulary. And, and you, know, it, you know, I guess as an example, like, you know, if I'm getting a song together to give to a drummer, I'll normally do, uh, I'll program a drum loop uh, to do as a scratch track. And I will purposely do a loop. I will not go through the song and program all the parts um, on purpose because, you know, I want I want the drummer to be able to hear, you know, the general groove that I had in mind, but I want their interpretation as well. Um, and, you know, if you go into each experience with each artist knowing that, that's what you're really after. That you're you're after a blend of your two minds, of, of your two experiences, and that you're after their extended vocabulary on their instrument. You know that you know that they have this ability that you don't have, and that that's what you're after. Um, you know, I think you'll have a much more pleasant experience, and you'll make better music. Um, but it's. You know, it's a tricky thing. It's a tightrope walk, and that actually perfectly segues into the one of the big things I wanted to hit on today, which is that with COVID, there's been um, obviously an explosion of remote recording work. Um, lots of musicians, you know, have home recording setups. Uh, some have even tried to make the transition to recording for a living. Um, and, you yeah, know, more power to you. Um, good luck with that. It's not easy either. But, um, uh, you know, but still, it's great. Uh, it helps in terms of doing, you know, remote recording gigs with them. Um, and with that situation, and I've done this a lot with a lot of different musicians and on different instruments. And it's interesting because my general feeling at this point, particularly after this year, where there's been so much more of that, but even, you know, I, we were do, I've been doing this for a long time with a lot of people, and my general feeling is it doesn't, is it, it, that not good. I, I don't like it, um, and I'm sorry uh, to all the musicians out there who, who rely on that, but it's really, um, you're giving up something enormous in not having the ability to produce the session. And there are ways you can do that. You can do FaceTime, blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, and I, I think um, that's one thing I've also learned from this year is that um, it's probably worth the effort to do those things, you know, to, to try to FaceTime, to do whatever you can to actually produce the session. Uh, I'll tell you what happens, uh, which has happened this year uh, quite a few times. Um, is a musician will do a take or maybe two of uh, whatever of the part that you need. And um, if they were in the studio, and the artist was here and and I was here, um, you know, what would have been, okay, great. Uh, give me one more with a little less of this or a little more of that, you know a quick what would have been a quick note and another take well that becomes an entirely you know different proposition when it's send me your first revision we'll take a few days to listen to it we'll let you know what we think now send us another one with these changes the problem is getting into the head of recording is not easy you know no nobody walks around <laughs> with their brain, you know, wired that tight all the time. You know, it's, um, you know, people, everybody's familiar with the concept that a singer needs to warm up their voice, but every single person that records needs to warm up their ears, you know, and, and, and their muscles and everything. You know, it's a level of precision, the work that everybody does in the studio that doesn't exist anywhere else. Nobody plays to this level of precision when they're practicing at home or when they're on a gig. You know, they the studio's different in that way, um, and it takes a few minutes. I mean, obviously less with less time with more experienced people, but it takes a few minutes to get into that head. And I mean, look, I come into the studio every single day (laughs) and it takes me, you know, some time to get into that head if I'm performing on something, Uh, you know, and it's, uh, and God forbid it's something where like, you know, where you're using effects on a guitar or having to dial through a bunch of sounds on a keyboard or, or, you know, get drum levels for God's sake. Um, you know, it's, uh. You know, um, it's that much more time. So, like, every time you sit down, it's not um, just do another take. It's, okay, spend another 20, 30 minutes getting into that head again, you know, and, and, you know, getting the song flowing through your veins again. That's, you know, it's like it's not your song. Um, Even if you played it once, you know, again, it's going to take a pass or two to sort of, like, you know, get inside it again. So it makes, it turns what was, uh, hey, give me another take with a little less of this into a whole nother session. And for the musician, whether they know it or not, whether it's conscious or not, they start to feel like they're being taken. They start to feel like, hey, I'm doing two sessions now for the price of one. And, And I don't honestly think it's conscious but that's the way it feels because that's in a very real way. That's the way it is, you know, um, only it's ridiculous to ask the artist. The artist can't pay you twice just for a second take, you know? Um, so that's one of the reasons why I think by design, this home recording thing eh, is not so good. Um, it's not that we haven't made it work. We have here and there, but it's, you know, it's troublesome in that way. And um, I mean, it's very nice to get quality talent that you wouldn't be able to get otherwise. You know, um, you know, uh, the, uh, so, like Joe Den is an amazing violinist, but he lives, you know, really far from me. <laughs> he's he's over by the GW Bridge. I've hired him, you know, quite a few times remotely, and he does a great job. But it's still remote. It's still not a producible thing. You know. Um, and, uh, you know, and there's a lot of other great artists that I do this with too, but it, it's, there's a reason, it's, it's a compromised situation. And I think a lot of musicians in their, um, in, in their enthusiasm that, uh, ooh, I can, you know, I can make money in my living room. And even more, I think the, I think the bigger appeal is that you can do it. There's a, there's a thought that you can, That you can do recording without the microscopic scrutiny, and without the scrutiny of other people watching you as you do it. Yeah, it's this idea that oh, you can get the red light syndrome off. Yeah, and you know what? You can't. You really you can, but it's not. um, It it's a compromise then for the artist. It's not as good an experience for them. And. you know so that's my take on it you know look there's uh you know there's there's a million you know artists musicians and studios and everybody's going to have their own view of that but that's been my general experience with it um and so you know i mean i get i get musicians often saying like oh you know make sure to think of me you know and it's like i do think of you you're awesome <laughs> you're beautiful musicians but but know that like it is a, it, it's a strike against hiring you that if you can't be here, uh, I'd rather have somebody who can be here. Um, and I mean, this boils this even gets down to, uh, you know,, um, I mean, a long time ago, once uh, we were able to have um, the the great and I, I mean, great. Mike Garson, you know, David Bowie's pianist, played a track for for my wife and I, you know, our band. Um, again, our drummer Rick Cutler is friends with him. And, you know, I think Mike's about the best pianist there ever was. <laughs> um, and, uh yeah, you know, he did all of the historic, really is the only word I can say, uh, piano work on Aladdin Sane and Diamond Dogs. and um, You know, he's amazing. But, you know, he is the same thing. He did it at home. (laughs) And we had a conversation about the music. But, um, you know, in the end, uh, it was very difficult to make his track, uh, you know, uh, work with the song. And, you know, without just reimagining the whole song around his track, which, you know, um, there's a lot of good reasons to do that because he's amazing. But, but, um, but, you know, again, it wasn't, it wasn't produced. And it doesn't, the quality of the musician doesn't really matter in that regard. You know, uh, it's still, I mean, it matters a little, but it's, you know, you're doing this for an artist, you know, and there has to be, you know, that real-time feedback is so important. So, yeah, um, I mean, I, I, part of me, like, Half of this is just—I'm telling myself this—of like you know that I I I have to work harder to make sure that I'm on that FaceTime or whatever or the present you know when that goes down and even if it's a remote session um, and because it just, it really doesn't work um, anyway uh, so I think that's about it I've been rambling for a while now um, but you know it's a big deal it's a big issue um, I consider the quality of the musicians that I'm able to offer to artists, probably the single biggest selling point of my studio. I think it's huge. Um, I feel like at this point, um, you know, I've got some, you know, some steady regular musicians that are just so good. They're so good. And I mean, it just feels like, you know, uh, you know, we've got, like, Doylestown Stacks records here. <laughs> like, it's really doing re- well. Um, and a lot of artists have, have had the privilege of having, you know, Jim Hines play for them and, and Glenn Hale and, and, you know, just all these great people around here. And, um, and it's just a lot of fun. And um, I just want to help that process go as smoothly as possible because, you know, it's how we make great music and, um, you know, and, and I encourage, I strongly encourage artists, um, to try to be as open as you can to other voices. I mean, even Mozart had to write for his orchestra. You know, you have to, you know, you have to go to war with the army you got, you know? Um, and, um, so, and, and, and just appreciate the fact that, you know, that they're going to bring something to the table that you never thought of. And that's the whole point. That's the whole idea. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't want them if they couldn't, you know. Um, so please, uh, artists, take that to heart, you know. Um, you know, try to leave room in your head, in your vision, in your heart for other voices. know that that a capable voice is going to come and step in and make it more than you could have ever imagined um and that's the beauty of the process all righty uh we're coming up on christmas and uh we're coming up in the end of this horrible horrible year um it hasn't been horrible in all respects but um we've all been suffering with covid um so uh I love you all. Everybody, anybody who listens to this, I'm always shocked when people tell me they actually listen. (laughs) Thank you for listening. Um, And, uh, you know, probably this is the last one of this year, I would imagine. And so I'll see you on the flip side. And May 2021 be better, I hope. Um, You know, most of you know uh, I kind of went ape shit upgrading the studio. Oh, God, now I have to put an explicit warning on this podcast. uh upgrading anyway uh it it was not you know i mean business was good this year but it was not because of that that i did all the upgrading it wasn't a one-to-one thing with how much money was coming in it was more about um yeah i had a bit of like an existential uh midlife thing uh it just dawned on me that I, i turned 50 this year and um that I'm, I'm going down the other side of the hill, <laughs> and, and, you know, the, the idea, I think I spent my whole career, my whole life thinking about the studio I want to have, and, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks, that like, okay, that's, that's enough of that, it's time to have the studio I want to have, and, and, and spend the last decade or two of my work doing the work I want to do in the studio I want to have, so, um, so that's what that was really all about, and uh, it's, you know, I'm really happy that we've done some huge upgrades and they're awesome and i'm so thrilled with the way things are going right now so i'm actually really optimistic about 2021 i think we're gonna have a lot of fun this year um okay take care guys i love you all happy new year so long